The last couple days, I, I've just been very irritable. Do you ever get like that? You just get in these moods where you're just irritable? No, okay, you don't, but I, I do. My wife will tell you how irritable I've been. And there's nothing, no one thing that's, that's made me irritable. It's been a lot of things. Life. <laughs> uh, sunk $450 into my car on Friday. Uh, $150 into my bathroom on Thursday. None of that I planned on. Um, that makes me irritable. Had kind of a gnawing headache. I, I've got a, a toothache that's been kind of hanging around. It comes and goes. I've been doing that for 10 years, and I keep thinking it'll go away, but it's been around there quite a bit lately. <laughs> and the thought of breaking my streak uh, depresses me. I, I've gone 10 years now without seeing a dentist, and uh, <laughs> I have a thing about dentists. Uh, so that's, you know, and, and you know when, when it hurts to drink water, that's probably even kind of bad, so... <laughs> That, that's, that's got me irritable. And then when, when, you start getting, when you get on this irritability roll, nothing seems right. I mean, the way people chew their gum bothers you, and, and the way they drive bothers you. Um, everything gets on you. This morning we had this buzz back there. I don't know what happened. It's just, everything was fine in practice, whatever, but as soon as we started, there was this buzz. And normally it's like, oh, no problem. But that was irritating me. And the only reason I'm telling you that, this sermon was irritating me. Sometimes sermons, you know, Monday, I wake up and boom, God gives, gives me what I'm going to say and how I'm going to say it. And it's just so wonderful. It's so fairness. This one was like torture. It's, it was just, uh, I had it all here. It was really exciting here. But then when I came to try to think about how I'm going to communicate this, it never fit right. And I wrote it five different times. One o'clock in the morning last night, I'm still thinking, how is this thing going to come out? And I still don't know. What I was some people last night, and they'll tell you, I was just kind of irritable. I was just sort of, <laughs> wasn't myself. What I'm happy for, and the only reason I'm telling you all this, is, is uh, that I'm just thankful that, that you can come to the house of God and you don't have to be in a good mood. You don't have to be in the mood to go to church to go to church. You don't have to be in the mood to worship God to worship God. You don't even need to be in the mood to preach a sermon to preach a sermon. Some of my best sermons have come when I've been very, very grouchy. <laughs> I preach on hell. I don't know. <laughs> You're all sinners going down. <laughs> I can take it out on somebody. <laughs> I feel like abusing a congregation this morning. Yeah. <laughs> and I am going to talk on sin. So that's kind of. But some of the best times you have with the Lord, I mean this really seriously, is when you just, you come, you're in an ordinary mood, you don't feel like it, but you do it because it's the right thing to do. And that matures you. It's when you, when you, when you just say, God, you're more important than my irritation, and you're more important than the struggles that I have. And so I choose, I make a conscious decision to focus on you and bracket all of that. And whether I feel like it or not, I'm going to lift you up. And sometimes that matures us, and sometimes the greatest blessings come when you do that. So in spite of my irritability, I feel pretty good this morning. I, I, I was enjoying the, the worship service. And I'm not going to tell you I'm in the best mood. It, it was funny to hear Paul was in the same... We're both ornery this morning. I talked to a bunch of people out there before the service, and they were ornery. So we just got an ornery church. <laughs> Woodland Hills Ornery Church. <laughs> One of the things that's been making me ornery is this. How many parents of teenagers have some of this? <laughs> Enough! Sweatshirt. How much do you think I paid for this? <laughs> I, I, how much do you think? Enough. 30? Enough. I paid enough. <laughs> it's school time and you've got to buy school clothes. And, 
And so you go out shopping. Now, you could get this same kind of color, same kind of texture. will keep you just as warm at Target for $10. But if you get the enough, those, those four letters there, you're going to pay $50 for this. And I, before I, was, uh, before I was an actual parent, when I was thinking about what parenthood would be like, I thought, my kids, are, they're not going to need these gimmicks. They're not going to need this commercialism. They're, they're going to be counter-cultural kids. <laughs> Their self-esteem will be rooted in Jesus. They're not going to need all this. Well, I bought this sweatshirt. <laughs> Jibbo jeans. Bum equipment. If you're not a parent, you don't even know what that means. But if you're a parent, you know exactly what I'm talking about because it's very, very expensive. And why do we do that? Why, why do we buy the name brand stuff for our kids? Or at least the deal we got is if you want the name brand, you go in half. So they do a lot of babysitting, so they pay for half of it. Why do we do that? The reason I think we do that is because we want our kids to survive junior high school. <laughs> and having an enough t-shirt on helps you survive. It, it, it helps you get through. We do it because we know that our kids need self-esteem what I'm preaching on this morning, by the way, I forgot to announce the subject matter. We're talking about self-esteem. And we, our, our kids need self-esteem. We want our kids to feel good about themselves. We want, our kids, we want to give our kids whatever help we can so that they'll feel okay, so they'll, they'll, they'll develop positive, affirming thoughts about themselves. And if it takes spending an extra 40 bucks for a sweatshirt to do that, I'm going to do it. And I don't even feel that guilty about it. I feel a little bit guilty, but not, not real guilty. Because I believe... I really believe, as probably most of us here believe, that self-esteem is a very important thing for a kid to have. And I'm personally very happy with some of the, uh, the changes that have come about in our school system and in our society in the name of self-esteem. I'm really happy that my kids, when they come home from school and they've got some homework, even if they didn't do very good on that homework, the teacher says some positive words. Sometimes they have to search really hard to find positive words, but, but, but they believe in positive reinforcement, and I'm glad about that. Because when I was going to school, a little Catholic boy in pre-Vatican Catholic school, they didn't use much positive reinforcement. Family Bibles whacked over your head was the way to get you to pay attention. And, and uh, I'm happy about that, and I'm happy that they have sports programs and they use positive uh, reinforcement on sports. I coached girls foot uh, football, girls softball this last summer. <laughs> Can't let him go in there. He's going to touch that. <laughs> and they gave us a booklet on how to coach, and over half of the booklet was about positive self-esteem, positive reinforcement, and I'm glad for that. I think it's a good thing. I, 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 I think it's something adults need. Finding areas in your life that you need to feel good about. I'm not so spiritual that when I... You know, if I preach a sermon that I think went well, I feel kind of good about that. I drive home, and yeah, I give God the glory, but I ask for a couple of crumbs of credit to be thrown my way. And I'll chew on them. Conversely, when I preach a clunker, and, and that happens occasionally, I don't feel so great. But I don't think it's ungodly or carnal or sinful or fleshly, the fact that you feel good when you do something good. I think that's, that's an understandable thing. Twenty years ago, I think saying this in a church would have been sort of radical and controversial. Self-esteem, feeling good about yourself, that was like a, a new revolutionary idea. That Christians should feel good about themselves, or that people in general should feel good about themselves. But right now, we are in the middle of a cultural movement. It's been going on for about 20 years, which I like to call the self-esteem movement. And as I've already told you, I'm, to a large degree, happy with it. I think it's a positive thing. The self-esteem movement, in essence, says this, that what you think in your mind largely determines the kind of person you're going to be. 
And so if you want to be successful and you want to be happy and you want to be an achiever, think successful thoughts and think happy thoughts and think achieving thoughts. And, and, and learn how to feel good about yourself. Affirm yourself. Give yourself some space. And affirm yourself. Be positive towards yourself. And to a large degree, I think that is actually a biblical idea. The Bible tells us in Proverbs that as a person thinks in their heart, so are they. That's a biblical idea. The Bible talks a lot about being transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's a biblical idea. The Bible assumes throughout that what goes on in your mind is more important than what goes on in your behavior because what goes on in your mind largely determines what goes on in your behavior. That's a biblical idea. And so to a large degree, I see this as being a positive thing. Still, as Paul read this morning, the Bible says that we must test all things and hold fast only to that which is good and avoid all evil. And Paul tells us, as we've seen the last couple of weeks as we've been continuing this series on Christianity's toughest competitors, tells us to beware, to be on our guard, to be critical. And the very fact that this is a, such a popular movement today, myriads and myriads of books are, are, are written on self-esteem, the fact that it's so popular should give us pause. The fact that it seems so obvious to us that, of course, people need, got to have, it's crucial to life to have self-esteem, the fact that it's so obvious should cause us to question it. So that's what I'd like to do this morning. In my view, this, the, the, the concept of building self-esteem as a way of improving yourself is largely a biblical concept, but the modern secular version of the self-esteem movement, I think, goes astray in two ways, and that's what, what, what I want to talk about. It, divorce itself, it divorces itself from re reality in two ways. It ignores, number one, the reality of sin, and therefore shoots too high. But it also ignores the reality of salvation, and therefore shoots too low. Let me talk about both of those ideas. First, I want to pray. Lord, help me to come clear and articulate with what I have on my heart. It's been hard for me wrestling with this this last week to know how to say it in a way that is balanced, in a way that is understandable. And I pray that you would help me do that this morning, God. Lord, give us truth and let your spirit of truth be here this morning and protect us from error. And if I say, Lord, if I, if I say things that are imbalanced or can be misunderstood, I pray that you'd protect us to hear it right. Or not hear it at all, if that's what your will is. In your name we pray. Amen. First of all, the concept of sin. Sin. S-I-N. Sin. The very concept of that, the very word sin, in a culture that is, as we are inebriated with the self-esteem movement, the word sounds harsh. The word sounds offensive. In fact, in the, in the modern self-esteem movement, this is largely a no-no word because talking about sin doesn't make people feel good about themselves. Talking about sin doesn't affirm you. Talking about sin doesn't seem like positive reinforcement. And so it's kind of a no-no word. Even in, in churches, now largely influenced by the self-esteem movement, we're very hesitant to talk about sin. In fact, I heard one famous uh, TV preacher, I didn't hear him, I read him, uh, as he said... But the only problem that unbelievers have is that they don't think highly enough about themselves. What they need is more self-esteem, the gospel of self-esteem. And so in, in, under the impact of this movement, what is coming to be the case in some quarters of Christendom is, is that the gospel is equated with building self-esteem. We're good at talking about dysfunction, but we're not very good at talking about sin. 
We're good at talking about psychological problems, but we're not that good about, as, uh, about talking about sin. We're good at talking about emotional struggles. We're good at talking about alternative lifestyles. And we're even good at talking about unfortunate choices. But we're not that good at, at, at talking about sin. Because to a large degree, in the secular self-esteem movement, there's no category of sin. All problems are simply low self-esteem. The, the, the commissioner on self-esteem in California. I didn't know there was a commissioner of self-esteem anywhere. But there's a commissioner of self-esteem in California. And he said that all individual and social ills can in the end be traced to low self-esteem. The Bible has a different approach to that, I suggest to you this morning. For the Bible, the fundamental problem with human beings, if you're looking at the whole, uh, the whole situation of humanity, the fundamental problem is that not that we don't think highly enough about ourselves. That's a result of something else. It's not the cause. The fundamental problem is not that we don't affirm ourselves enough and we don't think positively enough about ourselves. The fundamental problem, according to Scripture with humanity, is that we're in sin. It's the sin word. According to the Bible, the fundamental problem is that we're in a state of rebellion. The fundamental problem is that we're at war with God. We're in darkness. The Bible says we're dead to sin. The fundamental problem is that we want to be Lord of our own life and not make Him Lord of our life. And because of that fundamental problem, there's all sorts of other problems like low self-esteem. But that's the result of the problem, not the problem itself. The problem itself is sin. That doesn't make us feel good. It doesn't make us feel affirmative. But that is what the Word of God says. And it's a reality that needs to be grappled with. The Bible doesn't do a whole lot to try to sugarcoat that. It doesn't do a whole lot to soften it to our fragile, to our fragile egos. It doesn't, it doesn't nicely dance around that topic and try to use different terms so that we weren't hit hard with it. The Bible hits us hard with it. It holds up a mirror and says, look at yourself in this mirror and, and see what you see. And according to Scripture, what we see, if we're seeing correctly, is that we are sinners. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3 that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And if, if you read Romans chapter 3, verses 8 through 11, or 8 through 18... You've got, you'll get a real lurid picture, an, an ugly and even offensive picture about what humanity is like apart from God. Paul there writes th this way, speaking of both Jews and Gentiles, that we are all alike sinners. He says there that our, our mouth is full of deceit. Apart from God, our hearts are desperately wicked. Apart from God, we don't desire righteousness. Apart from God, we don't even desire goodness. We don't even desire justice. We don't even long for God. Apart from God, we are, our hearts are full of wrath. Our hearts are full of death. It's a lurid picture. It's an ugly picture. It doesn't make us feel particularly good. But I believe that God is far more, has far more invested in getting us to see ourselves correctly than he does in getting us to see ourselves positively. And therefore, he tells us what the situation is, that we are in sin. And the greatest sign of how far lost we are is that we're so far gone, we don't even know we're gone. We're so far lost in the, in, in the woods of sin that we think we're right at home. We're so diseased, we think we're healthy. We're so used to the darkness, we call it light. We're so used to being what the Bible says is, is dead in sin. We're so used to that. We think it's life. And that's just one more sign that we're that far gone. 
And insofar as that is true, this, the modern secular self-esteem movement feeds into that because how it operates is by adjusting. You look in the mirror, you see what you don't like. Instead of changing yourself, it tries to change the mirror. It tries to rearrange things so that you don't see it quite that way. It tries to make you feel okay with yourself as you are in the midst of whatever you are. And so it says it, it, it works to acclimate people to their disease, to get people to be okay in the middle of the darkness, to get people to be okay in the middle of their lostness. Just affirm yourself. Think positive enough about yourself. Just pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Affirm yourself. And you'll be all right. See, the Bible has a very different approach to that. A very different approach to that. And I know that I'm, I'm confronting a modern, a, a widespread modern idol here. But it's got to be done. Test all things. On the day of Pentecost, here's the scriptural approach, and it's very different from the, the, the positive thinking approach. Peter preached the sermon, and the people on the day of Pentecost said, What must we do to be saved? Peter, what do, we need to be saved? what do we need to do to be saved? How are we to be made whole? How are we to be made right with God? And Peter didn't respond by saying, well, just feel good about yourself. Think positive thoughts. Stroke yourself. Congratulate yourself enough. Be happy with yourself. What Peter said, the first word out of his mouth was, repent. Amen? Repent. To repent means to Feel sorry for your state of being. Feel sorry. Feel bad about the sin that you have. And it means to turn from that sin, to turn towards God. The first step that we need to make in being made whole with God is not to think more positively about ourselves, but to see ourselves more accurately. And that means seeing that we are sinners and admitting that. The first job of the Holy Spirit, Jesus tells us in John 16, the first job of the Holy Spirit is not to make us feel real nice and good and, and tingly and wonderful, but to bring conviction. There's another old-fashioned word that's not very popular today, but it's called conviction. To let the person know where they're really at, to help people see their true state of being. And see, the gospel doesn't, first of all, seek to make us feel good in the middle of our disease. It, 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 what the gospel seeks to do is to cure us from our disease. And the first step in doing that is to let us know that we have a disease. The gospel doesn't want to make us feel comfortable in the darkness. It wants to bring us light, even if that light initially hurts our eyes. The gospel doesn't seek to make us feel okay in the middle of our death. It seeks to give us life, resurrection life, Christ-like life. And that first meanings, means feeling the full power, the full impact of the fact that we're dead. And it sounds nasty. It sounds mean. It doesn't make us feel good about ourselves. It doesn't make us feel wonderful. It, it makes us feel lousy. But God doesn't do it because He wants to be mean towards us. He does it because of His grace. It really is grace. He does it because He loves us so much. Because what the Lord understands, what we need to understand is this, that until you see that you're sick, you don't see that you need a physician. Until you see that you're lost, you never know that you need to be saved. And until you see that you're in darkness, you never see your need for light. And until you see that you're in sin, you never see your need to be forgiven. Until you see that you're doomed, you don't see your need for a Savior. And one of the most damaging and I think destructive things about the modern self-esteem movement, and this is what happens when you take a good biblical principle and divorce it from the biblical context in which that gave rise to it, the most damaging aspect of it is that it convinces people it works or it can work to get people to feel, feel so okay where they're at, so happy where they're at, that they don't see the need for a savior. They don't see the need for anything more. They think they can do it all themselves. It's like a new form of idolatry. 
And one of the main things that, that, that the church faces today, the main obstacles the church faces today, and one of the main competitors that the church faces today is just getting people to see that they need a Savior. Because they're feeling pretty good where they're at. The Lord sometimes makes us, it's hard medicine, but the Lord sometimes makes us feel miserable in order to make us eventually feel a whole lot better. The modern self-esteem movement divorces itself from reality, and that means, first of all, divorcing itself from the reality of sin. But does that mean that we should, therefore, since we know we're sinners, okay, now I've got you all feeling very, very miserable, right? Does that mean we should sort of grovel in, in, in this, grovel in our sin? And, and Christians have sometimes in different times in history and different locations been inclined to do that. It's sort of a righteous thing to, sh- to say how miserable you are. As some of you know what I'm talking about. I am so lowly. I have no goodness in me. I am miserable. I am slime. I am snail's breath. I am maggot juice. I am terrible. Oh God, I deserve to go to hell. I am just terrible. I feel... And they get off on feeling miserable about that. I really don't think that's what the Lord has in store, or that, that's, that's what the Lord wants. And here, I can't tell you how much I want you to hear this. This is what I struggled with in terms of how do I say this clear enough. And I just got to relax and, and trust that the Lord will make up the difference between what I need to say and what I'm going to say. <laughs> what we need to understand is that while sin is a reality in our life, If you're a believer, it's not the final reality, and it's not the definitive reality, it's not the most important reality. It's true that I am a sinner right here as I speak to you, but that's not the most fundamental thing about me. What I need to hear and what I need to see and what I think we all need to hear and see this morning is that when you believe, God changes your reality. God changes, really changes who you are. See, the problem with the modern self-esteem movement is it's divorced itself from reality, so it's not based on anything. You, you, you just, it's, it's wishful thinking. Here you are, a complex piece of protoplasm, and on the basis of that alone, you're supposed to feel good about yourself. You're supposed to feel wonderful. You're supposed to think positive thoughts. Regardless of what you're actually like, it divorces itself uh, from reality. And that's why it doesn't work all that well. In spite of the tons and tons and tons of books that have been written and published on this whole thing, I'm not sure that people feel a whole lot better about themselves than they did before. It helps in some areas of life, the the, the smaller areas of life. But in terms of overall well-being, I'm not sure it really works. It's like that guy on Saturday Night Live. Do we have any Saturday Night Live fans here? Uh, 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 You you know that guy, uh, what's his name? France Molly? Stuart Smalley. You know the guy, uh, that uh, self-esteem man, and he comes out there and and, and here's the guy. Well, he always says things like... uh, you know, I like myself. Uh, doggone it, I enjoy just being me. And I'm smart, and I'm good looking, and people like to be around me. And he's always so, you know, affirming of himself. And what makes the thing funny is that you know by looking at the guy that he's a total jerk. This, is, this guy's not smart, he's not good looking, and no one would want to be around him. And even he himself doesn't believe it. Because the, the, the thing is this. If you really believe that you're worthless, telling yourself you're worthwhile isn't going to work. Why? Because you think you're worthless. What do you know? <laughs> it's true. That, that's the syndrome. 
It's like I worked hard to come up with an analogy with this, and I couldn't do it, but the only thing that came to me was, was, was it's like trying to massage yourself to sleep at night. You know, it just doesn't work. My, my wife... My wife always wants to be, you know, she can't sleep. Will you give me honey? Will you give me a back rub? You know. And I feel like saying, just give yourself a back rub. <laughs> but it's not the same. It, it just doesn't feel. Or give yourself a head massage. It's just. Ooh, wow. It just doesn't work. But see, when you believe, when you believe it's based on something. There's a foundation here. And it's based on something very, very big. In fact, I want to say this, and I hope it's not misunderstood. But hear it in context, okay? For the Christian, I really believe that self-esteem isn't something that we need to be chasing. Self-esteem is something we can be freed from. Because what's central to the Christian is not... Your self-esteem, because that's all screwed up. What's central to the Christian is God's esteem over you. It worked! What does God think about you? Because, see, God defines reality. What God says goes. In the beginning, God created the world. How did he create it? He spoke it. He spoke light. He spoke earth, and there was earth. He spoke cows, and there was cows. He spoke people, and there were people. When God speaks, reality occurs. His word defines reality. And what we need to see so clearly is that when, when, when we believe God speaks a new word into us, he esteems us differently. And that estimation, not our self-estimation, decides what we truly are. And that is the foundation for any kind of feeling good about yourself. Let me just give you a barrage here, a quick barrage of some scriptures about what God thinks about you. Don't try to write them down because you'll never get them all, because I'm going to go fast. Just get the impact of it, and if you want to go over it, buy the tape. But when you believe, a couple of scriptures, when you believe, Romans 6 tells us that the old self is crucified. That's how God esteems you. The old self, that sinful self, it is, it is crucified, it is dead, it is gone. 2 Corinthians 3.17 tells us that when you believe, When you believe you are a new creature, you're a new creature in Christ Jesus. Behold, all things are new. All things have passed away. All things are new. That happens when you believe. When you believe. Colossians 3.3 tells us that our life is hid in Christ. It's hid in Christ. You're hid in His holiness. You're hid in His righteousness. You're hid in His love. You're hid in His beauty. And Romans 6, 5 again tells us that when you believe, you are united with Christ. You're united with Him. He's got a bear hug on you. He's squishing you so that you are just being squished into His love and into His justification and into His righteousness. And therefore the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1 that when you believe, Jesus says if He's got to hug you, you've got to be around Him. So He says, come up here and sit next to me because the Bible says we are seated in heavenly places. When you believe you're seated in heavenly places, that's how God views you. That's what God thinks about you. That's what God says towards you. It's there in the Word. And in the light of that, it doesn't matter much what you think about yourself because what God says is more important and more powerful than what you say about yourself. Is this true? And I'm just getting warmed up. Jeremiah 31.3 says this, that when you believe, you're loved with an everlasting love. Amen. Hebrews 10.13 says that when you believe, you are perfected once and for all, forever before the, before the Lord, blameless in His sight. 
Ephesians 1, oh, I already read that. Romans 8, 1 tells us that when you believe, there is no condemnation to you when you are in Christ Jesus. John 10 tells us that when you believe, you're put in the Father's hand and no one can pluck you out. Zephaniah 2, 8 tells us that when you believe, you're made the apple of God's eye. Can you believe that about yourself? Can you see that about yourself? It's, it's the word of God. You're the apple of his eye, the twinkle in his eye. And that's not because of, of the enough sweatshirts you wear, or it's not because of the jibbo jeans that you have, and it's not because of the good behavior that you have. It's because of what Jesus Christ does for you, and you believe him. And the light of that, God sees you as the apple of his eye. In fact, the Bible says, finally, that when you believe, God rejoices over you. He sings over you. He claps his hands over you. He dances over you. That's how God esteems you. I really don't believe that God's out to make us feel good about ourselves. We are absorbed with how we feel about ourselves. I don't think God is absorbed with how we feel about ourselves. He doesn't tell us these things to make us feel good. He tells us these things because they're true. But you can't really see what's true about you. You can't really see, look for very long at, at, at how the God recreates your existence when you believe. You can't see all that glory for very long and not begin to feel good about yourself because it is true. Feeling good is the result of what is true. And all growth in the Christian life comes this way. When we learn how to affirm what God affirms and let go of some of the things that we might otherwise affirm about ourselves, My self-esteem is all screwed up. And I think it probably will be to the day I, I die, to some degree. I got hit one too many times with a Bible on the head. Nothing I can do about that now. I got, I got slapped around a little too much. I got uh, wrong words said to me. I got lies put in me. I had some bad experiences, blah, 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 blah. So my self-esteem is jaded. The tapes I'd be inclined to play to myself are jaded. They're contaminated. They're all screwed up. And just trying to run them a little faster or be a little more positive doesn't do me a whole lot of good. But when I see what God thinks about me, I'm freed from my self-esteem. You can be freed from your self-esteem, freed from the negative... Voices that you might have in your, in your head because when you see what God thinks about you and, and hear this, it just doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter a whole lot what anyone else thinks about you. It doesn't matter a whole lot what mom and dad thought about you. Amen. It doesn't matter a whole lot what your past experiences may be, what your friends may think, what your spouse may think, what your kids may think. Because that's not what defines you. What defines you is what God thinks. And the Bible says, let God be true and every person a liar. Growth in the Christian life comes when we begin to see ourselves accurately. Not wishful thinking, but accurately. And that means seeing our sin. But even more importantly, it means seeing who we are when we're saved. And that is a dynamite stick that will explode your life in the right direction when you get a grip on it. Let me close with a couple pieces of 30-second advice. If you're struggling with this. Number one... The problem, what Christians need to be about is not striving to create worth. That's the pop psychology. You've got to create worth by speaking it. We don't need to create worth. We've got the worth. God speaks it. For the Christian, what we're seeking is just to see ourselves accurately. But some of us have been really barraged. Our self-esteem is so damaged that we can't see straight. We, 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 can't, we, we don't have clear vision about that. And, and, and if this is a chronic problem for you, one thing I'd advise is maybe consider Christian counseling. Christian counseling isn't about trumping up your worth. Christian counseling takes into, take, it, it orientates itself to reality and therefore knows the reality of sin, but also knows the reality of salvation. And what Christian counseling is about is helping a person work through the cobwebs, work through the bad stuff that's there, so they can begin to see reality. 
And we're really blessed, I believe, to have Daryl Rawlings as, as a primary person that we refer to because he understands what this is all about. And, and as time goes on, we're already developing a support group. And I want to have a lot of support groups that will be about helping people see themselves for who they are, not from what they received in the past. Yes, uh, in terms of their self-esteem. But how God sees them and their self-esteem. That's what, that's what brings about health. A second thing is this. No one can clear away the cobwebs. I feel like, you know how Jimmy Swaggart used to do it? I always, he, he always secured the microphone like this. <laughs> Glory. <laughs> Pray. Pray for me because I ain't right. <laughs> you already knew that though, didn't you? Flakier than I ever thought. God, you're not supposed to say amen to that. I never get an amen until I say something you're not supposed to say amen on. Then someone says amen. <laughs> weird preachers attract weird congregations. So there you go. <laughs> Pray. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you a picture of who you really are in Christ. Because when you begin to see that, it's a dynamite stick that explodes your life in the right direction. When you begin to think of yourself and see yourself as God sees you. Number three. I've said this before, and I'll be saying it again because I think it's the single most important spiritual exercise a person can do. Romans 12, 2 says, Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Growth comes as... We don't, we don't try to speak reality into our existence as though we're God, but growth comes as we begin to see reality. And one of the things that helps us see reality is when we, is when we fill our mind with what is true because there's so much stuff there that is damaging and, and, and deceitful, and the enemy uses that. But if you want to begin to grow in the direction of how God sees you, Make it a disciplined part of your life to take some of the passages that I referred to early, earlier. Take some of the things that God says is true about you and begin to bombard your brain with it. Brainwash yourself in a godly direction because you've been brainwashed in a different way. Get up in the morning and affirm biblical truth. Go throughout the day and affirm biblical truth. Go to bed at night and affirm biblical truth that in Christ I'm loved with an everlasting love. I've got a peace that passes all understanding within. The love of Christ flows through me. I've got the joy of the Lord. That joy is my strength. And begin to affirm what is true about you over and over and over again, 500 times a day if you need to. And you do, because you're affirming something 500 times a day. And if it's not godly stuff, it's probably ungodly stuff. What direction are you going to be moved in? Make it a disciplined part of your life. The Bible says to meditate on His Word day and night. And the final thing is, is the craziest thing. I'm just going to throw this out here and, 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 and let you take it however you want. But there's a spirit out there. His name is Satan. Satan means the accuser. His job is to accuse us, to condemn us, to bring us down. Because he knows that if we begin to find out who we really are, if we find out who we are, we're unstoppable. Nothing can stop you. And so he works feverishly to make sure that we don't ever see who we are. He can't take away our salvation, but boy, he can make us live as though it were not true. And so in spite of all that God does, we just go along dragging our feet and dragging our heads. And he's the accuser, brings condemnation. What do you do when that happens? Something I found to be the most helpful thing. That's the craziest thing. But you already know I'm crazy, so nothing will surprise you. You look to the cross. And see who you are in Christ. Look to reality. Just look to, re- get, a, to get a reality check. Who am I in Christ? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, Jesus died for me, so I'm spotless, pure, blameless, da-da-da-da. That's who I am. I forgot for a moment, but now I remember. And when that happens, you laugh. Laugh at the enemy. Because the Bible says that when he nailed, that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he took everything that was written against us and he nailed it to the cross. 
And when he nailed all the things that were written against us, all the accusations, he made an open mockery, a laughing stock, the Greek word could be translated, a laughing stock of Satan. One of the healthiest things, the most affirming things you can do as you get your mind to line up with what God thinks about you is to laugh at the lie, laugh at the enemy. Carol Rawlings gave me a picture last week. And uh, it's a good one. And I just want to, to show you this. A picture's worth a thousand words. That should be our attitude. Amen. He's a fool. He's a liar. He's deceitful. And the best thing we can do to affirm who we are in Christ is to laugh at him. And so when he comes around and says that you're fearful, you go, ha, ha, ha. The Bible says he's not giving me a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. And when he says you're weak, you say, ah, but when I am weak, then he is strong. Ha, you're a liar. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Praise God. Praise God. Don't try to trumpet up yourself and do a bunch of wishful thinking stuff. Just look at reality and laugh. He says you're defeated. You're more than a conqueror. And that doesn't depend on what kind of mood you're in. It doesn't depend on anything but the fact that God says it. And so even this morning as I was irritable, I don't feel very irritable right now because I I got a reality check. And uh, it's overflowing. Let's stand this morning. And I want to just offer this. Number one, if you're here this morning and you haven't moved to the salvation part of it, the sin part of it applies to you. And I don't want to make you feel miserable or anything, but it really is the grace. If you're here this morning and you're under conviction, that's the grace of God. And I want to implore you this morning to come forward and accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. It's a simple prayer, but it changes reality. Accept Him as your Lord and Savior. And commit your life to Him. Don't go out of this place carrying that same old baggage of guilt and slime. Make all the seconds part of this sermon true about you. What's true about you when you believe. Or maybe that you're here this morning and, and you're a believer, but it's, it, you have, really have trouble seeing reality. What you see is the voice of your mom or the voice of your grandmother or the voice of past abuse, the voice of deep wounds. And if you'd like to join with somebody in praying that the Holy Spirit would begin to clear some of that out, I invite you to come forward after we close in prayer. Father, I thank you that you have defeated the enemy. And I thank you, Lord God, that you've made him a laughing stock. And Lord, we enjoy laughing at him. And I pray that you'd give us that spirit of laughter to see the hilarity of this toothless lion as he tries to mumble-jumble false words at us. But Lord, when we don't know who we are, it sounds very ferocious and it's very biting and very wounding. Lord, increasingly show us who we are. Raise up an army of Christians who confidently know who they are because of who you are and that it's not based on anything else. Lord God, I pray that your spirit would this morning convict those who need conviction that they might receive you as the Lord and Savior. And for those of us who are just going to walk out here this morning, let your spirit be continually communicating truth to our lives that in you we are more than conquerors. In your name we pray. Amen.